0: My name is Keith. I'm the leading teaching pastor here at Grassroots. I'd like to welcome you this morning. If you're new, uh, welcome to Grassroots. Uh, You've chosen a a lovely day to be here. Um, If you need anything or if you're trying to find something, if you're new, feel free to ask me or anyone around happy to th- make sure you get, got what you need or know where you're going. There's lots to discover out there. Um, and also, after after the service, just as a bit of instruction, if, if you're interested in just sort of hanging out a little bit, um, people normally hang out and just chat and drink some more coffee and all that. So uh, there's always that welcome to, to linger around and to hang for a bit. And uh, I guess I should say this because I haven't said it in a few weeks too. Uh, we're still in the midst of a bit of a transition between... We used to have like a five-minute break where we're where we, bringing the kids back and, replenish coffee and I said at the beginning we're going to experiment this summer with uh, doing the service uh, with the social time kind of after the service and the uh, kind of five minute break we go without it and see what would happen uh, I think it's going kind of good um, you know we get that we get that fourth song and get all the big chatter all the kids go and then there's just a bit of moment to enter back into worship so anyway all that to say um, I said this at the beginning and I'll say it again. I think one of the big things that I've heard about losing the five minute break is that you lost the time to get our coffee. You know, like This is an important thing. So listen carefully if you haven't heard this. If you want your coffee anytime when I'm speaking, all you have to do is get up and go get your coffee. And I promise you, I won't be offended. So the, you're welcome to get up and go get your coffee. Uh, so uh, one of the things about grassroots that I love and one of the things that we're uh, continuing to talk about is that Grassroots hopes to be a place and has been a place where people come and uh, their faith in God gets restored and the thing about faith I oftentimes think about faith, it's like, like the beating of our heart. Like faith is kind of like the action of our heart, it's the, it's the consistency of the timing as it beats and sometimes faith can get inconsistent and sometimes it can falter and sometimes it can be severely wounded, and sometimes it can go so faint that you can almost you could hardly tell if, if there's faith there anymore. And people people's faith are our faith. It's a fragile thing. It's 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 easily messed with, and it's um and it's hard to, to get that spot-on consistency of having faith all the time, and so people at Grassroots come from all walks of their faith, all, all stages of their faith, and this is a beautiful thing. So whether your faith is this week beating strongly or whether it's barely beating, this is a place for you, a safe place for you to come and be in the presence of God and to be among people. Now, when I think about faith and how it becomes strong and consistent, there's four things that I think about. The first one is... Um, being outside, being in creation, being amongst the beautiful creation that God has given us and put us within. The second thing is engaging in a life of prayer. And uh, I believe that the more consistent our prayer is, and the more we're able to pray, the more consistent our faith can be. The, The third one is being in the scriptures and just listening to those great stories of God showing up in dramatic ways, and especially climaxing Uh, in the cross and in Jesus in his life and death and resurrection and the fourth way is being in webs of faith community people who are consistently in webs of faith community around other people who have faith and are walking the faith journey faith grows strong so there's those kind of four things I think that work in tandem that we work on so all that to say um, we're talking about for the last many weeks we've been talking about church and these webs of faith how does, how does being part of a web of faith, and why, why is that important in growing in growing our faith strong? But before we get into the, the rest of the, that today, I want to talk a, a little bit about a rainbow I saw yesterday. Yesterday's weather was really strange. It was like spotty and thunderstorming and sunny, and uh, I had the chance to be out camping this weekend with my girls, and not only was uh, on Friday and Saturday night, there's this meteor shower happening. Anyone here see the meteor shower happening? There's this meteor shower happening. I, I drive a Ford Expedition, and we were out, and we were car camping, and at one point, I was like, sprawled out on top of my expedition, just watching these meteor showers happen. It was, it was cold on my back, because it was metallic, but it was beautiful. And, you know, God and I have been wrestling lately. I don't know about you and your faith, but uh, you may be in a different spot, but God and I have been wrestling, and I've been saying, talking to him about some of the, my disappointment some of the things that I'm, you know, I, I really struggle with a certain areas of disappointment in my life, and it's, it's that that I oftentimes bring to God, and you and, and I were having a pretty candid conversation, a pretty frank conversation, and uh, I was laying there, and you would know, have think like all these meteor showers streaking across the sky, like you, your faith would just be like glorious, you know, but I was just more like not impressed. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I think God, you know, God's a type of God when you approach him with whatever you have, he like takes it and loves it and loves that the fact that you're approaching him. So we were talking and I was talking through some things and I'm not impressed with this meter shower. And then I went to bed and we had the rest of the camping day. On the drive home... Um, it was this really strange mix of cloud and sunshine and rain, and I, I've, I drove into a, a cloud formation that I had never seen in my life, and my girls are watching Black Beauty on the screens behind me. I'm like, girls, push pause, you have to see this, I've never been this close to a rainbow. And it was like, the, the sun was setting, I was driving east, the sun was setting with so this, this really strong, yellow, red sun. And then somewhere off to the left, it was raining. You could see the rain coming down, and it was like blue skies over here and dark clouds behind it. And it had created the thickest rainbow I'd ever seen, and I, we were so close to it that you could have sworn you were going to drive under it. And it wasn't just like a flash. It was like an hour's worth of rainbow. Like for the whole hour drive, like rainbow, like this thick thing. And I was like, okay, I'm impressed. (laughs) You know? All right, okay, okay, you got me. Um, So anyway, I just wanted to show that because I really believe part of this faith journey, and we're going to get into the the church here, and um, part of the faith journey is being in the great outdoors, being in God's creation and just paying attention. Oftentimes he speaks... Uh, silently and with whispers in the scriptures and in our prayer life, but oftentimes he's shouting in creation, so anyway, if you haven't been out this summer and enjoying the rest, please go out and and uh and be with be with God and his creation so we've been in in this series about the church and the kingdom and the the uh, the uh, image that we put together here is of a tree and of a of a church and the kingdom of God when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God he often used um, na- nature metaphor and oftentimes it was a, a shrub or a tree and the tree is the kingdom that grows up and we really can't control it and we really and God's the one who's sort of mysteriously doing it all and the birds of the air those who are the most vulnerable who need shelter will come and find their place in it and the church is somewhat of a different beast in that it's not the Kingdom of God, and yet uh, the, the the major way that God is choosing to attend and grow this kingdom is through His people. His people are gathering and being together and staying oriented to the kingdom. And the church, the problem with the church, one of the big problems with the church is oftentimes it can get distracted from the kingdom, or Uh, it can forget that its major job is to build for the kingdom. And so we've been talking about the kingdom of God and what's the kingdom other than the sovereign rule of God where everything on earth is aligned to his way of living and his way of being, um, which is oftentimes more humble and glorious and loving than we see the world organized around us. And then it comes to, um, you know, Staying oriented to the kingdom. I've talked last week about how preaching and healing are two main things that we keep ourselves busy with. We orient ourselves through preaching and healing in order to stay aligned to the kingdom of God. And um, this week we're going to continue on just a little bit. Next week, the next two weeks, the final two weeks of of summer here, or at least the summer series, are going to be... uh, about nitty gritties, like what do we do day by day as a church, how do we stay together, and what kind of things do we get ourselves busy with so that we can stay oriented to the kingdom, and yet, you know, th- th- avoid the fact of, avoid the potential of just being at church all the time. You can, you can be at a church and you can be there like seven days a week. And I think that we need some time to be with those, you know, those around us in, in the great wide world, helping them to see God's love and to see it in action. So how can, what, what are we going to do with a limited time and space? And so we're going to get a bit of a forecasting into the next couple of weeks of here's what the fall is going to look like for, for the ministries of grassroots and what's going to be offered and what you can get involved with. So it's just a shaping of things to come. Today, we're, we're, we're continuing on with the reading in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians has this section at the end of it. 1 Corinthians is a, is a book in the New Testament. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians that he founded and then left. And then they kind of got a little bit distracted and off course. And so he's, he's, he's writing them a letter, um, encouraging them, but also kind of slapping them on the wrist. Papa Bear is not too happy in this letter, I like to say. So he's writing to them, encouraging them, and the last bit from chapter 11 onwards to the very end is about church. It's about how to do church, what church is about, how to organize it, what, what, what are the important things that we think about. And uh, when it comes to uh, you know, the, the, the main teachings of 1 Corinthians 11 through 12, one of the main ones we get is this famous image of the church being like a body. One, one, one member is an eye, and the other member is the ear, and we all work together and engage as a body to build for God's kingdom together, and so we each have different gifts, and we read that last week. This week, we're going to go back just a little bit, and we're going to talk about the importance of unity, the importance of unity in the building for God's kingdom, because oftentimes churches can get distracted by Disunity. And disunity is that rivaling and griping and working against one another rather than with one another. And uh, you know, we get we get so focused on ourselves and the, the in fighting and in battling oftentimes that we get distracted from the larger thing happening and on the tree grows and here we are just sort of, you know, trying not to burn the house down. And, uh, and so Paul, Paul is writing to First Corinthians because something like this is happening among them. Uh, and the cool thing about reading these couple chapters is that you get a sense, a real picture of what the first churches were like. And the first churches were, were a bit different in that they didn't gather around, sing a few songs and everyone got to listen to one person. The way the early church did it is that they may have sung some songs, some hymns, and then you know, they, they would kind of all have a chance to have an open mic from God. I think God is saying this to us, and they would go, you know, well, yeah, that's probably not what God is saying. We've heard that 12 times and definitely God's not saying that. I don't know how it all worked out but it was probably something more like that, uh, or where someone spoke, stood up and spoke an encouraging word and said, I think God is telling us this, and everyone is, as Paul says, their hearts are laid bare. You have the sense that, oh my gosh, this, this is speaking to me. So that's how it all worked out. And uh, in, in honor of that, because that's where the teaching is today, uh, I'm not going to, to speak so long. I'm going to give a kind of a longer reading of this section because it's just it's just too good for me to try to, to, to speak it. we will just give it to you in reading um, and, and it'll take probably about 15 minutes for me to get through these chapters just reading it out loud to you so I'm just kind of priming the poem warning you this is gonna be a bit different uh, but but good um, so the first couple things to say just to kind of get us oriented to this um, Another difference between their meeting and what we do now is we have the the Eucharist here. We have the table of broken bread and juice to symbolize Jesus' broken body and the blood he shed for us as the greatest act of love ever known. Um, And and it's like a a bunch of kind of allergen-free bread with some juice. And if you would have been in the early church, it would have been a potluck. It would have been a whole meal that you'd come to. And um, people would bring bread from their homes and, and juice and wine and fruit and probably all sorts of yummy things that they have in the Mediterranean world. Olives, I don't know. Um, and so they'd bring it before church and set it out before the table here. And you know how we pass the baskets around? This is a two thousand year old tradition. We we pass it around to put money in to support the ministries now, but they didn't do that then. They brought the food. That's they started the service, and they they some actually someone have the food back, the potluck back there. And as the service was going on, they bring the potluck up, and that's that's where we get the passing of the baskets. Of, what what is, have you brought to offer to the meal today? Bring it up. That's that's what's going on there. So. Just an interesting little tidbit. Uh, so we have, we have this, and Paul will talk about this uh, in there. And he, he kind of talks about, like, um, at one point, if you don't perceive the body, you might go ill or die. <laughs> it's really weird. It's like, oh, okay. Um, uh, but what, he's, what I think he's saying there is, um, and he, remember, he's talking all about church in this section. So this perceiving the body, I think it's like, Perceiving that we're here together and looking around at the body of believers that are gathered together and delighting and enjoying and revering the very people that God has given us to worship with. And so, you know, when I come up at the end of each service as we do, one of the things I do is to, um, before I take the the bread and and dip in the juice, before I take it in, I just sort of look around me and think, look at all these wonderful people that God has given to to worship with. And I kind of look None of you've noticed this yet. I've looked, I look—I can look in your eyes, and I enjoy you, and I perceive—I perceive the body of Christ because we're here together, in all of our raggedness, dipping um, and taking in Christ every week. And so, anyway, there's a bit of there's lots of weird stuff in here. I can't talk about all the weird stuff because it's an ancient, foreign time. But I'm just trying to get a few. Um, so. Prophecy. When Paul talks about prophecy, oftentimes we think of prophecy as like someone coming up to you and saying, "In three days you'll win the lottery. Here's the numbers." You know, that wasn't quite a lot. Prophecy is more of just an encouraging word from Scripture or from God that builds you up. So I come to you and I say, "You know, um, Eve, she's not here. Eve, you know, uh, I know that you've been going through a lot, and I was reading the Scripture the other day. And I think really God is telling you to." And then the message comes, and that's that. I believe mean, that's what prophecy was. Paul. So when he talks about prophecy, that's what he means. And tongues, speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues, there's two types. One of them is just gibberish. You speak gibberish so that you can turn your mind off and just pray with your heart. And that's a Christian practice. That's something that Paul encourages. Um, But he's like, don't do that when you gather together, because it won't build anyone up. You'll just be kind of praying with your heart and not your mind. When you gather together, pray with your mind so that we can build each other up and it's clear. So, anyways, prophecy and speaking of tongues. Now, we're going to read the whole sweep here. It'll take 15, 20 minutes. Um, So I encourage you with the fact that these letters were written originally to be heard. We we oftentimes take the Bible and we just read it and write in it, and that's great. Uh, But these were letters written to groups of people, and there wasn't a lot of... Writing I mean, there wasn't a lot of materials in that time, so they 'd write it on papyrus and they 'd send someone and they 'd send it they 'd be the reader and Paul would send some of this a servant, or a, a, a coworker like in, uh, in Romans he has this friend named phoebe I don't, we don 't know who she is other than the fact that after Paul wrote his probably most beautiful theological letter. He put it in the hands of Phoebe and said, go to Rome and read this to the Romans before I get there so they know who I am. Because he hadn't met them before. And so he puts the letter in the hand of Phoebe. Phoebe goes and Phoebe gathers everyone together and reads Romans like in one sitting. It takes four hours. Um, so I won't do that to you today. Uh, but... Um, so these things were meant to be listened to, meant to be heard. And oftentimes we, we've been taught to read the Bible like, let's master it, let's remember all of it, let's, let's try to sort of get our, our minds around it. And I think that when the scriptures are read like this, scriptures are meant to be heard and it's like a, a wave washing over you. So, there's less of trying to, to grip onto it and master it, and more of a posture of, just keep your heart open, because God will speak through his scriptures, and he may speak through something, and, and it might hit you, and you may, you may miss comp- the rest of the letter, you may hear nothing else, but you'll just be thinking, wow, like, my heart has been laid bare by this reading. So, this is how this works, and to me, you know, it happens every time that God just takes one little thing and says, this is my word for you today. So, I think that's enough. you think you're ready? <laughs> so I'm going to do some reading here of First Corinthians, it's starting in chapter 11, verse 17, and we'll just read on. I'll have a few things to say afterwards, but for the most part, this will be it. What I have to talk about now isn't a matter for praise. When you meet together, you make things worse, not better, What I mean is this. To begin with, I hear that when you come together in the assembly, there are divisions among you. Well, I believe it, at least partly, there are bound to be groupings among you. That's how the genuine ones among you will stand out, I suppose. So when you gather together into one meeting, it isn't the Lord's supper that you eat. Everyone brings their own food, and one person goes hungry, while another one gets drunk. Haven't you got houses to eat and drink in? Or you do despise God's assembly and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? No. In this matter, I shan't. This, you see, is what I received from the Lord and handed on to you. On the night when the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and said, This is my body. It's for you. Do this as a memorial of me. He did the same thing with the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this as a memorial of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. It follows from this that anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone should Test themselves. That's how you should eat the bread and drink the cup. You see, if you eat and drink without recognizing the body, you eat and drink judgment on yourself. That's why several of you are weak and sick, and some have died. But if we learned how to judge ourselves, we would not incur judgment. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are punished, so that we won't be condemned along with the world. So, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, Treat one another as honored guests by waiting for each other. If anyone is hungry, they should eat at home so that you don't come together and find yourselves facing judgment. I will put the other matters in order when I come to see you. Now about the things relating to the Spirit's work, my brothers and sisters, I don't want you to remain ignorant. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led off, carried away again and again after speechless idols. So I want to make it clear to you that nobody who is speaking by God's Spirit ever says, Jesus be cursed. And nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different types of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different types of service, but the same Lord. And there are different types of activity, but it is the same God who operates all of them in everyone. The point of the spirit being revealed in each one is so that all may benefit. One person is given a word of wisdom through the spirit, another a word of knowledge by the same spirit, another faith through the same spirit, another gifts of healing by the one spirit, another the working of mighty deeds, another prophecy, another the ability to distinguish spirits, another of various kinds of languages, another the interpretation of languages. It is the one Spirit, the same one, whose work produces all these things, and the Spirit gives different gifts to each one in accordance with the Spirit's own wishes. Let me explain. Just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So, it is, so also is the Messiah. For we all were baptized into one body, by one spirit, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are, were all given one spirit to drink. For the body indeed is not one member, but many. If the foot were to say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, that would make any sense. Would it? And if, if the ear were to say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, that wouldn't make any sense either. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were the sense of hearing, what would happen to the sense of smell? But as it is, God has organized the members, placing each one individually in the body according to his wishes. If all parts were one member, where would the body be? So the result is this. There are many members, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. No, the parts of the body which seem to be weaker are all the more necessary. And we give much greater honor to the parts of the body we reckon as more dishonorable. So that the parts that we hide in shame have a far greater dignity, which our more presentable parts don't need. In fact, God has made the body a single, organized whole. He has given greater honor to the lesser part, so that there won't be any division in the body. But that all the members may have the same concern for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is exalted, all the members celebrate along with it. Now you together are the Messiah's body, and individually you are members of it. In the church, God has placed apostles first, then prophets, then teachers, then powerful deeds, then gifts of healing, helpful deeds, organizational gifts, different types of languages. Not everyone is an apostle, are they? Not everyone is a prophet. Not everyone is a teacher. Not everyone does powerful deeds. Not everyone has gifts of healing. Not everyone speaks with tongues. Not everyone interprets. You should be eager for the better kinds of gifts. Now, I'm gonna show you a better way, a much better way. If I speak in human languages, or even in those of angels, but do not have love, then I am becoming a clanging gong or else a clashing symbol. And if I should have prophetic gifts and know all mysteries, all knowledge too, have faith to move the mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and for pride's sake my very body, but do not have love, it's useless to me. Love is great hearted, love is kind shows no jealousy, makes no fuss, it's not puffed up, no shameless ways, doesn't force its rightful claim, doesn't rage or bear a grudge, doesn't cheer at others' harm, rejoices, rather, in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, love hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but prophecies will be abolished, tongues will stop, and knowledge, too, will be done away with. We know, you see, in part, we prophesy in part, but with perfection, the partial is abolished. As a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned like a child. When I grew up, I threw off childish ways, for at the moment all that we can see are puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, face to face, I know in part for now, but then, I'll know completely, through and through, even as I'm completely known. So now, faith, hope, and love remain, these three, and of them, love is the greatest. Pursue love, and long for the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Someone who speaks in a tongue, you see, isn't speaking to human beings, but to God. Nobody can understand such speakers because they speak mysteries in the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to other people to build them up, to strengthen them, and to console them. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself or herself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I would be delighted for all of you to speak in tongues, but I would be even more delighted to have you all prophesying. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in a tongue, unless they also give an interpretation so that the church may be built up. Well then, my brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how am I going to bring you any benefit unless I speak to you either in a revelation, or in a word of knowledge, or in a prophecy, or in a teaching? It's the same with lifeless objects that make sound, like a flute or a lyre. If they don't give a distinct note, how will anyone know what tune is being blown or plucked? Think about it. If the trumpet doesn't make a clear sound, who will get ready to fight? It's the same with you. Unless your tongue gives a distinct message, how will anyone be able to tell what you're talking about? You will be like someone speaking into thin air. To be sure, there are all kinds and types of languages in the world, and none of them is meaningless. But if I don't know the force of the words, I will remain a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. It's the same with you. Since you are so eager for spiritual matters, try to specialize in doing things that will build up the church. So the one who speaks in a tongue should pray to be able to say the same thing in a clear speech. If I pray in a tongue, you see, my spirit prays but my mind remains fruitless. Why is that important? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind as well. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind as well. You see, if you say a blessing in the Spirit, how can someone who isn't one of the inner circles say the amen to your prayer? And we're all like, what does that mean? Okay. They won't know what you're talking about. You may well be giving thanks in fine style, but the other person isn't being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the assembly, I would rather speak five words with my mind to teach other people than a thousand words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, don't be children in your thinking. Be babies when it comes to evil, but in your thinking be grown-ups. This is what it says in the law. I will speak to this people in a foreign language and with lips of strangers, and even so they won't listen to me, says the Lord. So tongues are not meant for believers, but are a warning for unbelievers, while prophecy is not designed for unbelievers, but for those who come to faith. What I mean is this, if the whole assembly comes together and everyone is speaking in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers come in, they'll say, you're crazy, won't they? But if everyone prophesies, and outsiders or unbelievers come in, they will be called to account by everyone, stirred by everyone, the secrets of their hearts will be laid bare and so they will fall down on their faces and worship God declaring god is truly among you so where does this leave us my brothers and sisters when you come together one person has a song another some teaching another a revelation another a tongue and another some interpretation Let everything be done for the general upbuilding if anyone speaks in a tongue, there should be two or most three each taking their turn. One of them should put it into plain speech. But if none of them can do that, let them be silent in the assembly and speak to themselves and to God. As for prophets, let two or three speak and the others evaluate what is said. If fresh revelation comes to someone sitting there, the first person should be silent you can all prophesy one by one, so that everyone can learn and everyone can be encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are under the control of prophets, since God is the God of chaos, not, not of chaos, but of peace." Well done, you made it. So, there's a lot there, a lot to think about. a lot. To gives us to think about doing church. A lot that I like to say, too. uh, I think the the focus of what the Lord is inspiring me with here is talking about togetherness, unity, being one in the Spirit and one in the Lord. And what does that look like? What does that look like in a church like this? How can we be unified and not... Uh, be marked by divisions. Now, I'll say this, that if you read a lot earlier in the book, Paul talks a lot about holiness. He talks a lot about your relationships, your uh, kind of the way that you relate with other religions, and he talks about that, and And, and the primary point is about holiness there. It's about doing what the Lord wants of us and keeping ourselves um, pure in his sight. You saw later on, he said, don't be, or be babies in evil, which means like don't, don't have any experience in evil, but with your mind be grown-ups. And he's talking about that there, he's talking about um, a a general holiness. Now here he goes on, he's talking particularly about unity, about honoring one another, especially those who are more vulnerable, uh, about building each other up. Did you hear that drumbeat over and over again? Do what you do to build each other up. And when we come on Sunday mornings and we gather together in small groups, that's something that should always be going through our mind. What can we do to be building these people up and encouraging them? And, um, and so you have these great themes of unity and holiness together. Now listen, it's easy to do one without the other in a church. It's easy to be part of a church that says, you can do whatever you want, you can do. Um, there's, there's no sort of sense of holiness here. There's no sort of sense of parameters. Do whatever you want, and you'll get great unity. Because everyone's like, I'll do what I want. There's, you won't have any divisions because everyone's just doing what they want. But it's... On the other hand, it's really difficult to have um, a church that has a strict level of holiness without unity. And, and I think probably we've seen more of those churches that are like, here's exactly what it means to be a Christian, here's exactly what you have to do to be part of this in-club, and, all, and what you see over and over again is smaller and smaller details uh, getting focused on them of how, here's how the church works, and if you don't fall in line exactly with all these beliefs, then, well, what happens? Church splits and you become two. And you just see these splittings and splittings and disunity and disunity. So it's easy to have holiness without unity. It's easy to have unity without holiness. But try to put those things together and that's what Paul is asking of us. Let's have a standard. Let's have a sense of, here's what God would ask of us. Here's the lifestyles that God would want us to leave to keep us free and uh, whole human beings. But let's do that in a way where we do get focused in on how do we do that, and yet there's unity at the same time. So that's, that's the first thing I'd like to sort of share from that as the grassroots going forward. If we're going to stay focused on the kingdom, if we're going to build for His kingdom, we're going to have... Unity and holiness. And unity specifically, uh, Paul talks about here as um, a deference, uh, uh, as a way of saying, uh, even if we have differences, even if I dislike kale, eating kale, and you love kale, this is a thing at grassroots I'm learning. You know what? I'm going to look past that and love you anyway. I I ride my bike to church, and you drive your Ford F-150. We're going to each look past that, and we're going to find unity. I mean, there's these things, they're funny, they're all over, and, 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 we, and we giggle, because they are funny. Um, and, and, and yet, we, as, as we open our eyes, we find them all over the place, and here's what unity is about. It's about whoever you are, whatever your choices are, I might, I might think that you do things in your lifestyle that may not be the best for you, and I'm going to be a good enough friend to tell you sometimes. You may, you may walk around with kale in your teeth, and I'm going to tell you. You know, like, I don't know. It's, you're going to be different than me, but yet, but yeah, I'm going to look past that I'm going to see in your eyes a daughter of God. I'm going to see in your eyes a son of God. At the end of the day, I show reverence for you because you are a child of the Most High. And that's what unity is about. That's how we do it. That's how we go about doing unity. And if we, if we can't do that, brothers and sisters, we can't do anything else. If we can't start there, there's no good work that we can do in this city to bring God's kingdom. And so, this is foundational to to, to learn this skill: togetherness, building one another up. And I'm not sure what it is that the Lord spoke to you about in that reading. Um, I love that right in the middle of that reading is that First Corinthians 13, first the the poem, the great poem on love. Did you hear that? It's a bit of a different translation, but a lot of people use this as the, at their weddings to talk about, you know, here's the nature of love, and it's beautiful, it's one of the most elevated pieces of poetry in all of human history, of this, what is love? Love is being grown up, love is being great hearted, and so forth. Um, and I love that that's stuck right in the middle of church, teaching in church. If you want to read it all, about church and right in the middle is this pinnacle about love because nothing will hold us together nothing will bring us to unity greater than the ability to, to, to show each other perfect love love that's patient and kind and endures all things and believes all things and hopes all things and so forth so uh, I'm not sure what God spoke to you in that um, come up and tell me afterwards if you like I'm always curious um, but uh, what would the Lord have for us going forward at Grassroots? He'd have us gathering together, breaking bread in each other's homes and praying and preaching the gospel and healing those around us and healing the world. There's all sorts of great things I have in mind that have come up together out of uh, a sense of who we want to be for this church. Uh, but it, it can't go anywhere unless it starts here. So what does this mean to you today? I don't know. What is what is unity mean to you today? What does showing reverence to those around you today look like? Uh, it may look like, go, you know what, Like I've been a bit hostile towards this or that person for whatever reason. You know, I need to stop that. I need to repent of that. I need to... Um, I guess I'll share this. Um, so I had a dream last night. And uh, it was a really interesting dream. I wasn't planning on sharing this. It just popped in my head right now. Uh, I had a dream last night. I used to work at a seminary. And um, you know, you had all these professional Christians and teachers and all of that. Um, and, and I worked with international students, helping them transition and becoming part of the, the community uh, in Kentucky. And um, there was another person in a different department who oversaw the person whose job was is to make sure all the visa paperwork, legal paperwork, was right. So I was doing the caring and um, uh, belonging. Part of it, and they were doing like just making sure they were legal because it was actually such a big job that two people had to do. But by the time I got there, it was split into two departments. So the person that was over this department always had their crosshairs on my position. Like, there was like this great division in the, in the seminary at the point, and they always wanted to like axe my position. And they wanted to take all that and move it over into their department, which was fine, or whatever. But I had I, that was like I was cutting my teeth on ministry at that point, and I was all bitter and angry and like trying to fight back, and you know. Fight for my right. Um, I saw this dream last night, and this person was in the dream. And this person now has um, has come down with like stage four cancer, and um, she's she's had multiple kind of heart problems and now is in a wheelchair for life, like she's she's just not done well. And honestly I've watched this unfold over social media and I've like struggled, I'm like, okay, okay this is like enemy number one, you know. And I was like, oh, My heart's breaking and, and um, so I had this dream last night where, where she was asking me to be that, to work with her, <laughs> in that position and we had this, this conversation where I was like I'm sorry for all the, the evil things I've thought about you this is a fellow, this is a wonderful Christian woman. I'm sorry for all these evil things I've thought about you." And she was like, you know, I, I, I really didn't do you justice. And we had this dialogue, and you know, I was like, that probably never happened in real life, so thank God it happened in a dream, you know? Um, all that to say, like, this happens to all of us, right? We all get enemies, we all sort of, in small communities, we kind of turn against each other, it happens. Um, so what does unity look like? What, what kind of business in your heart do you need to do to help unity be a pervading force here? What, uh, what kind of business do you have to do relationally to have unity being providing for us here? What kind of forgiveness do you need to seek? What kind of forgiveness do you need to ask for? These are all the questions that I think Paul would have for us uh, in this time in our church life. And um, with, with great love and great humility of hearts, I believe that uh, a unity can grow here so profoundly. Well, what would it look like? What would it look like if this one small community was known and had this unbelievable potent sense of unity? I don't know. I think it would be great. I think that it would be an, a, a lovely thing to see. And, and thank God that we are already sort of well down the road. There's great love here. There's great affection, far more than in any church that I've ever been part of. But we can grow. We can, we can even do even better. So that's my, that's my challenge for us today. And we come together week after week as, as Paul teaches us because on the night that he was betrayed by his, one of his closest companions, um, Jesus gave us this meal. And Paul, Paul um, passes it on to believers and says, we're, we're, whenever you do this, remember to... Remember the body. So I'm going to watch you. You're going to be looking in each other's eyes as you do this. No, you don't have to. That's kind of weird. Uh, remember the body. Remember the beautiful, beautiful community that God has given us as you come forward. And whatever it is that He's stirring in your heart, let the dipping of your bread into the juice be uh, your prayer today. So, brothers and sisters, the table is set, and everyone here is welcome.